0: Let's start off with a couple questions this morning. If you're in need of legal counsel, whom do you go to? Okay. Yeah, right. If you're in need of medical attention, whom do you go to? You guys are good. We're good. We're awake. We're doing well. So far, so good. We're two for two. Uh, if you're in need of law enforcement, you go to? Right. The police. If you have a clogged sink, you would call the? Oh, this is fun, Right. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who are you gonna call? You yeah, we'll see, some of you knew that one. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. that yeah, you're gonna call ghostbusters, right? There's some of you some of you like that was like what? Well, I don't have no idea what he's talking about. but you know with, with the line of reasoning and the line of questioning, I couldn't resist what was there. But the point is this, when you have a need, you typically know who to go to. You know who to call, you know who you need to get. Uh, and this fact is true not only for Christians, but it's true for unbelievers as well. But here's the differentiator. The differentiator is when you want, or excuse me, when you need forgiveness of sins, who do you go? When you want to escape the wrath of God that's being stored up by your sins, who do you go? When there's nothing that you can do to save yourself, who do you go to to save you? You see, there are many people who know where to go for their temporal needs. They know who to pick up the phone and call. They know who to drive to. But the problem is, they forget eternity. It's the things that are right now, oh no, my faucet is clogged. Oh no, my toilet is overflowing. And it's those things that need attention. But what about eternity? What if I took care of all the temporal needs of my life, but I had not eternity? Jesus would say, what is a Profit a man if he gained the whole world but lost his own soul. What does it profit a man? You see, food could sustain my body for today, but tomorrow, after I digest, gonna be hungry again. And I said tomorrow, you guys are looking at me going, Pastor, in a couple of hours, you're gonna be hungry again. <laughs> That's right. Especially if Corky's cooking. Won't be hungry again. But I need to have the right spiritual food for my soul to sustain my life forever. There's got to be spiritual food for the soul. This morning, we're going to see that Jesus is that spiritual food that we all need for our souls, that every man, every woman, and every child needs this spiritual food. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of our message this morning is, To Whom Shall You Go? To Whom Shall You Go?, And we have a whole lot of text this morning. So we are looking at John chapter 6, verses 48 through 71. I see some of you on your cell phones canceling your lunch plans already. Um, You know, we might be here a little bit. No, by God's grace, we'll get, get through it all. It's coming. If you're taking notes, there are three things we're looking at today. Point number one will be the offer to all. The offer to all. Point number two will be the rejection from many. And point number three, the salvation of few. The offer to all, the rejection for many, and the salvation of few. Before we open up God's word together, let's pray together. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray, O God, that you would reveal yourself and your truth to us. We ask, O God, that your spirit would illuminate the scriptures to our hearts and to our minds. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. This morning, we are going back to our study through the book or the gospel of John. We are back in chapter six. We've been there for some time now. We're actually picking up this morning in verse 48. If you want to start getting your Bibles prepared. And I know there are typically slides behind me. But I encourage you, if you have your Bible, open it up. Because we have a whole lot of text this morning. And I can't promise you those slides are going to be exactly where we need to be. So if you have a Bible, open it up, John chapter six. As you're doing that, I want you to recall what has gone on so far in John chapter 6. Jesus has performed a miracle. The first miracle we see in John chapter 6 is there are 5,000 men before him. Scripture said there was also women and children, but the number we have recorded is 5,000 men. But think about adding women and children on top of that. And he feeds them with five loaves and two fish. And not only feeds them, but they get their fill. They are satisfied with as much as they could eat. And then there is leftovers that all the disciples go around and pick up. A full basket. Jesus has performed a miracle. He has given them food for their bodies. And then he asks his disciples to go to the other side of the sea. He ends up leaving. And how does he get to the other side of the sea? He walks on the water. A second miracle that we see. And he gets in the boat and immediately they come to the other side. And when he is there, he's seeking rest. But a crowd finds him. You know who the crowd is? Those who just had some free bread. Guess what? It's the next day and they're hungry again. And they come to seek out Jesus. And back in verse 26, Jesus begins to teach them. They were coming to him just for some more bread. And he's saying, you need to come to me for much more than just bread. There is much more here. Instead of just temporal needs, I am here to satisfy your eternal needs. They asked Jesus for a sign. How do we know it's true? Which is kind of funny. The day before, he just had split up these five loaves and two fish to meet, meet probably 10, 20,000 people, and yet they want a sign. And they say, well, Moses gave us a sign. He had manna come down from heaven while our fathers were in the wilderness. He says, Really? They ate that manna and they died. Says, so He I'm here to give you living bread that you might live forever. So we pick up in verse 48 this morning. Again, if you're taking notes, the first point we'll look at is the offer goes to all. The offer is to all. Read with me in John chapter 6, looking at verse 48, it says, Jesus tells them, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes from heaven or down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. And I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give him is for the life of the world, or excuse me, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus states, as he did earlier in verse 35, that he is the bread of life. He has repeated himself again, telling them, I am the bread of life. I am the true bread from heaven. He says, I'm not like the manna that was called down during the time of Moses that God gave, because they ate that and they died. He said, I am living bread. That manna was food just for their bodies. It had no spiritual sustenance for their souls. But Jesus says, I am here for eternity. I am here to give you eternity. I am the living bread. So I want you to think about this. Bread. Most of us eat something. Maybe it's not bread. Some of you I know are on some kind of diet. We're like, no carbs, don't talk about bread. But you're going to eat something. You're going to put something in your body. There's going to be some fuel. And your body's going to burn off that fuel. And you're going to be hungry again. This is the mindset that Jesus is working with the people. Going, you're going to be hungry again. But if you come to me, those of you who hunger and those of you who thirst, I will give you something that you will never hunger and thirst again. Now, does that mean they'll never need food again? Is that what he's speaking of? Jesus, throughout this passage, is speaking metaphorically. It's not literal. So as you go through it, think about that. Because some of the Jews that listen to him are thinking, how is this possible? How are we going to eat him? Uh, How does that work? Well, he's speaking. Jesus, as he often did, gave, gave word pictures, illustrations. And he's doing that once again. He says, I'll give you eternal life. I want you to think about this. Think about food that would make you immortal. Who'd want that? Who'd say, I'll I'll take that. You know, they followed him for just simple bread. They were coming. They weren't even thinking about immortality. They're thinking about, hey, my stomach's growling. I need some food. And Jesus says, look, you're going to digest that. You're going to be hungry again, but I am living bread. I've come from heaven for this purpose that you might live forever. Forever. There's life in Jesus. Now, it seems crazy to me that everybody all around, you can turn on the TV or your neighbors or maybe your own home, and people are searching for the fountain of life. They're looking for it. They want to live longer, so they take this vitamin, they take that supplement, they purchase this ointment, they do that breathing technique, and on and on and on. Think about the billions of dollars that are spent every year on products that are supposed to slow down or cover up the aging process now, i'm not pointing fingers at anybody in here if that happens to you it's okay not pointing fingers but think about how much work people go through to try to prevent the aging process to hide certain things i want you to think about this if you knew that there was a giant earthquake that was imminent and that giant earthquake would level your house would you spend the time before the earthquake going out and painting the house, putting out new plants in front of the house, make everything look real nice? Or would you go in that house and find every valuable thing that really matters to you and make sure that is secure? That when that earthquake happens, you have everything that's valuable near and dear to you. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to these people. He goes, it's just like that house. You're worried just about this house that it's going to be destroyed. But what about the things that are valuable forever? Your soul. The thing that will last. He says, I'm here for that. I'm here that you might live forever. Now, here's the news that for some of us, it might be shocking. That body that carried you in here this morning, it's dying. You know, when I woke up this morning, I had to put deodorant on. You could say thank you. Right? Okay. You could say thank you. But I I had to put, do you know why I had to put deodorant on? That's right. This body's decaying. You see little things on my shoulders? Skin cells just fall off. There's dying cells as we speak that are going on. Anybody have dust in their house? That's not just dirt. That's also skin cells. Oh, yeah, you're like, great, you didn't know that. Thanks for the science lesson. But these bodies that we brought in here, they're dying. No matter how young we try to look or get our bodies to look, they are simply dying. Our bodies are dying. But nobody likes to think about death. Somebody like Pastor I didn't come in this morning to think about death. I want to think about that fountain of life instead. I want to think about rejuvenation. You know, Psalm chapter 36, verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Jesus is coming to communicate this. I am the living bread. He's the fountain of life. He is the one that can give you life everlasting. Look, it's not about this temporal body, this this temporal place of of just things. It's not about looking in the mirror and going, wow, there's gray right there. And right, oh, and there. And nothing here. That's going to happen. Oh, don't all you laugh. Some of you look in the mirror and you find something. There's something going on in that aging process. I told you before we started, look at this. My Bible's a lot bigger font than it used to be. I used to be able to carry that little mini Bible. They call it a little pocket sword. I've had that everywhere? Yeah, good luck. The body's dying. It's aging. But Jesus has come to give life everlasting. Look at me at verse 51 in John chapter 6. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You guys remember how John started this gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 said, and what? Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. This is the flesh. Jesus came for this very purpose that we could have eternal life. But notice the offer is to all. He says, if anyone, if anyone would eat this bread. Anyone. I want you to think, who is anyone? Is your neighbor anyone? Yeah. Is your child anyone? Are you anyone? Absolutely. The offer is to all. Remember when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Jesus said these very famous words. He said, For God so loved the world. The world! The offer was to all that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The offer went out to all. And it went out to all who would hunger and thirst. And I'm not talking about did you wake up this morning and your stomach growled? I'm talking about what's after this? What's next? That the Bible says that it's appointed to man once to die and then comes the judgment. What will I do on that judgment day? What will I say in exchange for my soul? What will I give in exchange for my soul? You know, there's nothing that I could say to save me, there's nothing that I could do to save me. That Jesus says, this is why I have come, That you could have eternal life through me. Back in verse 35, he's already said and stated that he is the bread of life. You look back in your Bible, John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That he is to bring satisfaction to the soul. Look, I love Snickers. And Snickers, you know, some of you are like, Pastor, I think you've used a Snickers illustration before. I'm sure I have. Because you know what? Their slogan is Snickers satisfies. But it's temporary because a couple of hours go by and I want another one. Jesus is to satisfy for all eternity. Much, much different. So point number one, again, I want you to see that the offer is to all. It's to all. And this leads us right into our second point this morning, that the reality is there's no rejection from many. Point number two this morning, the rejection from many. Look at your Bibles in verse 52. It says the Jews, after Jesus had told them he's the bread of life, he's here to give them eternal life. They begin to dispute among themselves. They're arguing, quarreling among themselves. Now I want you to stop there. If everybody's on the same page and like-minded, is there ever quarreling? No. So there's something going on. There's some division going on that some might get it and others do not. And as we'll find out, those that got it were very few. And those who did not get it were many. And they are quarreling among themselves. And this is what they're asking amongst the crowd. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Remember, Jesus, again, talked to Nicodemus, said, unless a man is born again, he'll not see the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus said, wait, how can you go back into a womb? How does this work? And didn't see the picture that Jesus was painting. Didn't see the metaphor Jesus was giving as here, there. Some were going, I don't get it. I mean, are we supposed to eat him? I don't understand. So Jesus sees them disputing. And I want you to see this picture. Jesus sees the crowd quarreling amongst themselves, and you would think he would back off a little bit. Well, let me make it more palatable for them. Let me make it easier for them. Let me water down this truth a little bit, which, by the way, church, is what is happening from a lot of pulpits and a lot of churches around the nation is that truth is too heavy. Let's lessen it a little bit. Let's break it down. You'll see Jesus do just the opposite. He cranks it up. He says, oh, you're quarreling just about that simple statement? Well, let's keep going. Verse 53, he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Huh? They were upset before. They're quarreling amongst themselves when he first said, you must come to me and eat of me. Now he breaks it down even deeper. He says, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. Which, by the way, some of you go ahead and say, oh, he's just talking about the Lord's Supper, that we're to participate in the Lord's Supper. That wasn't even the Institute yet. Lord's Supper is for believers. This is to unbelievers to come to him. That's not what he's speaking of. So what's going on? He says, feed on my flesh, drink my blood. What in the world is Jesus talking about? I want to ask you this. Is he speaking literally? I Meaning, is he promoting cannibalism? I mean, he said he was going to die. Maybe he's saying, hey, when I die on that cross, just come up and chomp in. You think that's what he's teaching them? No, not at all. He's speaking metaphorically. He was given a physical illustration of a spiritual truth. And the reality is he's already explained this to them. If you backtrack back in verse 40, look in your Bibles, John chapter 6, verse 40. He said, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. What do you say to all who do what? Who look unto the Son and believe in Him. He says, those are those who will be raised on the last day. So feeding on his flesh, drinking of his blood, they're equivalent to just this. It's trusting and believing in him for eternal life. Jesus was not teaching them, come take a bite out of me. He wasn't saying, you got, you got to eat, come come eat. I mean, I think of even using that phrase. I remember uh, in college, people had warned me about statistics. Anybody take statistics in college? Everybody warned me, said, it's the hardest course. Well, I went in there with a little bit more motivation Everybody else said it was hard. So I went in there to you know prove everybody wrong. Well, unbeknownst to me, as I got in there, it clicked, it resonated with me. And I ate up every single lesson. I'll stop there. What did I do with every lesson? I took it in. I absorbed it. It went into my heart, my mind, and I was able, a real story, to get up in front of the class and teach them. Because I ate it up. I did not go to the teacher and say, can I have your notes, please? He eat it up that way. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He's making it clear that just like food is no good for your body, just sit there and look at it, that you must consume it, that he is the bread of life, and it, he needs to be internalized. He needs to be received. He needs to be more than just head knowledge. You can't just look at him and say, well, I know that he would save. I don't know that he is able to save, but you must receive that. In order to reap the benefit that Jesus is talking about, his life must be in us. And that's what he's about to say to the crowds in verses 55 and 56. Look at your Bibles, John 6, He says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. And I in him. Now you could imagine these these Jewish listeners. Those who were quarreling and had no idea that he was talking metaphorically. They think this is literal. And they're going, what in the world? Eat his flesh. Could you see them talking to each other like, drink his, drink his blood? But Jesus says, I need to abide in you. You need to abide in me. This is an important piece about abiding in him and him abiding in us. It would strike a nerve to everyone listening in that crowd because they were told something in the law that God had given them about blood of the animal. Back in Leviticus chapter 17, if you want to write it down, you would read it all in context. I'm just going to give you one verse out of it. But back in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 14, we read, For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature for the life of every creature is in its blood. Whoever eats, it shall be cut off. They were forbidden from eating anything with blood. Any the animals, they had to make sure they drained out all the blood. And here Jesus stands before him and says, drink my blood. What is he speaking of? He's saying, just as there's life in the creature, in the blood, that's how you have to have my life in you. That is not a head knowledge of knowing about me, that I stand before you, but it's receiving me. It's believing in me that life might be in you. The Apostle Paul understood this very well. Apostle Paul taught about identity a lot. That it's no longer us, but it's Christ in us. Some of you, I know Chris. Chris, your favorite first, tell us what it is. Galatians 2.20, Paul would say, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That abiding peace, that's what Jesus was talking about. That Christ dwells within the believer. People in the crowd, they didn't get that. They're sitting there going, well, we hear these teachings. You keep speaking of these things. And Jesus doesn't stop. He keeps going in this text. Verse 57, he says, And as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Remember, Jesus is life. If he is in us, there's life. If Jesus remains on the outside, there's only life there. He must be within us. Verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus says, Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things. Look at verse 59. He said these things in the synagogue. You guys know what the synagogue is? It's where all the religious people came. These are religious people standing before them, going through all the religious duties. Do you think there might be religious people here today? Of course. Of course. And the same truth that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago was to a religious people. And he said, it's not about just having a head knowledge of me. It's that you would internalize, receive, that you would have me inside, that you would turn and receive me wholeheartedly, that you would believe that I am he, that I am God. There's an offer. The offer goes out to all. And at this point, we hear that the re- there's going to be a rejection of any. So far, Jesus has clarified what needs to take place. You have to receive You can't just know about me. There can't just be a head knowledge. And look what we read in verse 60. It doesn't even speak about all the crowd. None of the crowd. The people dispute, they're gone. We only read of the disciples. Now, this word disciples, we're not speaking of the 12 that Jesus chose. We're talking about those who would want to follow Jesus and listen to his teachings. Those who would follow him around. Out of them, it says, when many of them had heard this teaching of Jesus, they said, this is a hard saying. And they said, who can listen to it? they okay, stop there again. Who's the one teaching? Jesus. For them to question who can listen to this, they forgot who it was that was speaking. You see, there are things in our Christian faith that, Even now, you don't fully understand. I don't fully understand. That we get but a glimpse, kind of like this book. It's like kind of like seeing the edges. We see the edges. But one day, it'll be fully open to us. They stood before him as those who say, we want to follow his teachings and go, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to this? They're questioning the one who has come from heaven, the one who knows all things. And Jesus, verse sixty-one says, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, they said, Jesus said to them, "Do you take offense at this? Do you take offense? What is he asking? Are you offended by what I've taught you? Are you offended by this fact that you must have me within you rather than just know about me?" Are you taking offense? And he says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? He says, look, if you saw me going right back to heaven before you, do you think then you would believe? Because here's the problem. He's saying, I am speaking my words to you right now and you won't listen. You think that's an offense. There is not a sign that is going to save you. He said, there's nothing in your flesh that's going to help you reason this out. Look at the next verse, verse 63. He says, it is all the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. He says, the words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. What's he speaking of? He's saying, what I am teaching you is spiritually discerned. You can't reason this out in your mind. I want to ask you this don't raise your hand or shout out, but before you were born again, did you ever try to read the Bible? Did you ever say, you know, maybe I'm just going to open up the Bible and see what God has to say? And you read it and go, I don't get anything here. I have no clue what that's about. That's boring. It's old. It means nothing. And then all of a sudden, after you were born again, you open the Bible and you didn't understand everything. But all of a sudden, there are certain truths that start jumping off the page. What happened? Well, God's Spirit was now inside of you, and you were now able to discern what you were not able to discern before. Jesus is saying, you need the Spirit. You need me inside of you. I must be in you. To get you to see this, he's already taught this. John has in, in John chapter one, John chapter one verses twelve and thirteen. We read in the gospel. He says, "But to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God." Okay, that's not the part I want to talk about. It's the next part after the comma. These were those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of God. God has given them. The spirit, all of a sudden they get a certain spiritual truths, and Jesus says that He says, "Look, your flesh is no help at all. It must be spiritually discerned." Yet He still puts the responsibility on them. He doesn't say, "Oh, sorry, this has God hasn't opened your eyes." He says, "You have the responsibility to listen." Look at verse 64. He says, "There are some of you who do not believe." It says, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Who's he speaking of? Judas. Jesus already knew that. We're going to see that later in our text that he chose the 12 to follow him, to be his apostles. And he sovereignly chose Judas to also fulfill the work of God. Not in the way that I want to be chosen for the job, but Judas was chosen. Jesus continues and says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. There is this tension that we talked about last time we were in the Scriptures between the responsibility of man to come to Jesus and the reality that the Father must draw him to Christ. That tension exists throughout Scripture. This is the fourth time that Jesus referenced this truth. If you have your Bibles open, look back at verse 37. John 6, 37 Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Two verses later, verse 39, he says, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And the last time we were studying John together, we read verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I." will raise him up on the last day. That work of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit to illuminate God's truth. If you recall how I prayed this morning when we opened up the Word, was that God would illuminate His truth to us. Do you realize that if we can discern anything from the Scripture, it's because God's Spirit is doing that? That He's the one that would teach us all truth? That's an amazing thing. Jesus is telling this to those who would say, we want to follow, and they go, but we're offended by this teaching. And Jesus looks to him and says, look, you have the responsibility to believe, but know this, there are some that don't. But God's in control of opening the eyes of the blind, of giving life to those who are dead. And verse 6, chapter 6, verse 6, 6, John 6, 6, 6, no coincidence. No, I actually did this. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get crazy and write a book about it. John chapter 6, verse 66 says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Huh? How is that possible? Is it possible for people to come to Jesus for different motives other than salvation? Or maybe to come to him and want salvation, but not want to follow him, not want to obey him? Yeah. I I hear people all the time that say, you know, I've tried everything. I talked to a guy recently. He said, you know, I tried Buddhism. Uh, I tried this. I tried that. He goes, "Uh, I guess I could try Jesus. Well, I I think you missed the point. Jesus isn't something you're going to try out. You're not coming to him because you have specific needs of, oh, I need to pay my, my gas bill, Jesus. I'm coming to you now. Jesus, if you're real, pay my gas bill. He is Lord and God. Jesus is far bigger than this temporal need. John MacArthur said this. He said, false disciples do not follow Christ because of who he is, but because of what they want from him. Do you know somebody, you've talked to them, and they said, well, I've tried Jesus. He didn't work for me. Wow, try that statement. He didn't work for you? What did you come to him for? And how did you come to him? Because the offer goes out to all. But the reality of what we just saw when the disciples all left is many will reject him. When the saying gets hard, when it gets difficult, they leave. There's the rejection of many. here, But where it's also, don't get all caught up in, well, they all left. There's also the salvation of few. The final point this morning, the salvation of few Jesus continues, or John continues, (coughs) excuse me, in verse 67. He says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, where he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. Okay, so paint this picture in your mind's eye. Jesus started with thousands. Thousands had come to Jesus seeking. What were they seeking? Food, food for the body. That was their motive, is I want to go to the miracle meal maker. That's all I need. My stomach is growling. And I want some bread. Jesus tells them, look, it's not about that bread that you're going to be hungry hungry again tomorrow. That I am the true bread. That I'm here to satisfy your soul for all eternity. He starts with the thousands. He tells them they must eat of his flesh, drink of his blood. And they scatter to never walk with him again. And he looks and says, well, and and there's Judas among them. He doesn't call him out yet. But he says, Look, I've called I've you guys. There's 12 sitting before him. 12. Okay, put the picture again. There were thousands. Jesus lays down the truth, and now there's 12. And out of those 12, one of them doesn't believe. How many's left? Who's good at math? Good math. Still with me. From thousands to just. He loved him. He has told them, have I not chosen you? He's not speaking of the election unto salvation. He's talking about them coming and being those apostles who would have followed. But he's chosen. Judas, again, as I said before, he was chosen for a reason. Even in his unbelief, he was chosen for that reason. That God would use him as his overarching plan that his son would have to go to the cross to die in our place. Judas was chosen for that to fulfill God's purposes. So after all the half-hearted followers left, Jesus is left with his twelve. That's who's left. Guess what? He had started with those. You think of all times, who is the king of preachers? Who's the preacher of preachers? Some people have been given this title: Charles Spurgeon. And others, but you know who the best preacher was? Jesus, who would know the truth better than Jesus? Who was able to use language in a way that would paint pictures for his audience better than Jesus? And Jesus preached the truth to thousands, and yet twelve remain, and only eleven are saved. There are few, there are few that have salvation, but Jesus turns to just them, knowing that Jesus. Or he's an unbeliever, and he asked them a question. He says, do you want to go away as well? Do you? After everybody else has left, the crowds and all the glory, all the hubbub is gone. It's just you. Do you want to go away as well? I mean, what a question. You can imagine, you can hear like a pin drop at that moment. Jesus asked the question, like, oh. He saying, do you want to follow the crowd? Do you want to follow the easy road? Do you want to follow your own desires? When the teaching got difficult, did they want to bail as well? Did they want to go? The question that is, what about you? What about you? When the teaching gets difficult, do you want to bail? When the Lord asked you to forgive that person who has hurt you, do you want to bail? When the Lord asked you to repent and flee from sin, that is bringing pleasure to your flesh, but he says for you to turn, do you want to bail? When the Lord asks you to demonstrate love to your spouse who is unloving, do you want to bail? When the Lord asks you to love him above everything else, do you want to bail? Do you? Do you want to go away as well? So Jesus asked him, 11, the 12th, he knew. He's asking 11, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to bail? He says, even if your flesh is weak, if you are born again, the Spirit is there to cause you to remain. Jesus asked the question, do you want to go away as well? It is amazing to me who answers the question and who answers it very well. Who would you expect to put their foot in their mouth? Peter. Peter, please don't answer this question right now. Peter, don't say something silly now. This is very important. Jesus has just preached to thousands and they all left. He's left with only the 12. Somebody else, please speak up. But no, it's Peter. And Peter opens his mouth and look what Peter says. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Church, I want to ask you this. Why did Peter always get stuck with putting his foot in his mouth? Because Peter always spoke from his heart. Peter was a real guy who just spoke what he felt. And because he would speak what he felt, man, sometimes he got in trouble. It would just come out, no, Lord, let it ever be. He just get behind me, Satan. I was just speaking from my heart. Here he's speaking from the truth that he knows. And this time, church, he gets it right. This is solid. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. We have believed. We have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You are not just a miracle meal maker. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. It's an amazing answer. But do we give this credit to Peter? Do we say, Peter, well done, applause, stand up, take a bow? Or do we realize that Peter had the Spirit? The Spirit has revealed these things to Peter. That the Spirit would impress this upon him. Church, here's the reality that although you might be tempted Tempted at times to flee. Tempted at times by circumstances in life to run, to go away. As Jesus says, do you want to go away as well? But the Spirit is there to draw you near. That as you go, no, I'm going to do this and I'm going to end this, all of a sudden the Spirit is there drawing you right back. That God's Spirit, He abides in us. He is our helper. He is the one to keep us there. So though we may be tempted, His Spirit draws us near. So the offer, it goes out to all. Sadly, many reject the offer. And only a few are actually saved. Remember Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. The call went out to everybody, but only a few were chosen. If you're here this morning and you go, you know what? I think I knew Jesus or I know Jesus kind of like the Jews did. They knew about him. They heard the truth. But they didn't want to walk in his ways. They didn't want to follow what he said. They didn't want to receive his teachings. They just wanted what he had to offer. Hey, you got some more bread? Maybe that's you this morning. And that's been your walk with Jesus. It's only to come to him to see what you can get out of him instead of kneeling before him as Lord and God. So you are the Christ. You are God. And maybe it's this morning that you would receive that you would consume as though He is the bread of life, that you would eat of Him and drink of Him, that He would be in you and you in Him, that your identity would be in Christ. If that is not you, if you are here today and you cannot identify yourself as being in Christ, the message goes out to you, come. Come to Jesus. Eat of Him. Drink of Him. Consume Him. As I said before, eat Him up. Eat all of them. Have all of him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning that God, any man or woman in, in this place, that perhaps they recognized as Jesus preached to those in the synagogue and those religious people who were in front of him did not get it and they wanted to go away and they did. They fled. That perhaps there's someone in here today and God, they have followed you the same way. They know about you. They God, they only come to you in, in time of a temporal need. But they have not submitted to you as Lord and Savior. That today would be the day they turn to you. The true bread of heaven. The one who has come to give his flesh. That we might have everlasting life. Father, I pray they would receive that today. Father, for the rest of us, God, we thank you for your steadfastness. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for helping us, Lord, through those trials, through the times when the question would come, do we want to bail? When those hard teachings come to forgive, to love, to flee from sin. God, we thank you for your spirit that empowers us, that gives us victory in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name.